Crack, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. Welcome to episode 12 of Keeping Track. We switch sports for a minute and talk cycling with Aisha McGowan, the first African-American professional cyclist. She's a Category 2 cyclist and recently got her pro contract with LIV. She's an advocate for people of color and diversity in cycling. Ro and Alicia talk with Aisha about what it's like to make space for yourself in the world as a woman of color, who are inspiring figures for her, what are some of the barriers she faces in changing the cycling world, and what her hopes are for the advocacy she's doing going forward. Thanks for keeping track with us. So, everyone, hello. We are back with Keeping Track. I am your host, Alicia Montano, and we also have our host, Roisin McGettigan. Hi, friends. We, one person missing on our um, recap today, and it is Molly Huddle, mm-hmm. who is training for just a little tiny thing. Yeah. Um, the marathon Olympic a trial. Race. So, <laughs> a little, little jaunt around Atlanta. Yeah, weeks. so I guess, you know, we'll give her a small little break if mm. she needs it. Um, she's working. <laughs> no, she's, she is working super hard. And, yeah. uh, you know, th- we are obviously want her to be able to put all of her eggs in that basket right now. Mm-hmm. So she's focusing on doing that. Um, yeah. We are with our second guest um, for Black History Month. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if we've expressed you know, we had the opportunity of speaking with Don Harper, and now we have the wonderful Aisha McGowan that we have interviewed on our podcast, who was on a mission to become the first African American professional cyclist and has now done so. Roisin. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she's also, she wants to be an advocate. So she doesn't define herself by being a pro cyclist. She right. also defines herself as somebody who does, who wants to be an advocate and wants to see more diversity in cycling. And mm-hmm. she's doing an amazing job at that. So we got to hear about her work. And um, I thought it was a really fun interview. She's very nice and very inspiring. And uh yeah, like it, women's cycling, I feel like has to is behind men's cycling anyways. But I think Aisha being the first African American mm-hmm. female in 2020 is just shocking. Um, and yeah. that cycling needs to look at that um, professional cycling and mm-hmm. um, understand, you know, why is that the case and what more can they get do to, you know. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how shocking it actually is because I just feel like that's just the, this is why we're here on keeping track. Mm-hmm. You know, the climate of the world is very repre- represented in sports. You know, you can see it. It's like, a, again, sports is the microcosm of what's happening in the world. And, mm. you know, we see the simple fact that, you know, she is fighting to be represented one as a woman cyclist and then two as a uh, woman of color cyclist. And, um, you know, it's not just in cycling where we face that, but, you know, this is part of her story. It's in 
many industries across mm-hmm. the board. And mm-hmm. I loved just one part that, you know, you, you guys are everybody here that's listening, keeping track is going to get to here is where she talked about, um, she talked about her being able to create a space for herself Mm. and, you know, and I think that that's something that's really important. And I think we think, okay, we have to follow in somebody else's footsteps. Obviously her being an example is great for the next generation, but somebody has to start with creating a space Mm. for themselves. Yeah. She's up for the task. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes when you have a, again, maybe an outsider come into something that's established and sees the status quo and actually mm-hmm. has a lot of questions like, why is this so confusing? Why are commuters not able to relate to weekend warriors? And why mm-hmm. are weekend warriors seen like as subordinates to, I don't know, like racing team, you know? So she just sees all these like kind of hierarchies in the cycling world that she doesn't see why they exist. They have the commonality of enjoying biking and yet they kind of focus on their differences. And I really love that insight and I really you know, I think you guys will love and enjoy listening to her. So, yes, I 100% agree. It is okay to be different, but let's celebrate that. Mm-hmm. Do not ignore the fact, but celebrate each other. And so, yes, once we're yes. able to celebrate our differences, we're able to actually come together. I thought that that was just so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes when you focus on those differences, you lose sight of all the stuff we have in common, which is such a pity. Um, yeah. and <laughs> to say we're all least. living, breathing people, well, humans um, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. So, so awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. great. Um, everyone, we can't wait for you to hear this episode of keeping track, Molly huddle, keep killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing that stuff on the, not so much of a track, but mm-hmm. <laughs> on the roads. Yeah. And to um, any, anyone else listening who is training for that you know, that foot race in Atlanta in a few weeks. I <laughs> uh, hope you guys are doing well and enjoying the miles and not getting too stressed out as the pressure and the hype is building and you guys are staying cool and um, keep enjoying the game. All right. Pressure creates diamonds. You got this. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Happy thank you running. so much for keeping track. Yeah, See thank you guys. you guys. Bye. Hello, everyone. Today we have with us the wonderful Aisha McGowan. I'm Alicia Montano, your host, and I have also our co-host, Rasheen McGettigan. Molly Huddle is doing an amazing thing, happened to be training for the 2020 Olympic Marathon Trials. It's going to be a little bit later in February. Um, But today we have a special guest on with us who, quote, is on a mission to add color and numbers to women's cycling a journey to become the first African-American professional road cyclist, a quick brown fox. Everybody, welcome, Aisha McGowan. Hi. (laughs) Hello there, how are you? I'm okay, how are you? I'm good. So we're we're saying your name correctly. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, for everybody that's uh, just listening, I'm looking, um, we're all looking at each other and I'm seeing there's a Jamaican flag in the background of your home. I am not Jamaican. <laughs> oh, okay. Because we know uh, another Aisha that's Jamaican and I am Jamaican. So. Oh, they're, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually signed by Usain Bolt. Oh, <laughs> oh awesome. I love it. Which is, yeah, which I think is justification for a non-Jamaican put a J- Jamaican putting up a Jamaican flag. Totally. Oh, I, I take it. I love it. <laughs> where, where are you from? Um, I'm just 
African American. I, you know, that whole slavery thing. So <laughs> Atlanta, yes. Where, yeah, places for places. So um, oh, there's so much to talk to you about. Okay. One of the things, like, just to kind of start off, I also want to talk about your background and how you got into sport movement in the first place, whatever your first sports were, and then where it transformed into cycling. Okay. Um, so I've always been really active. And I mean, I learned to ride a bike by myself at six, as people do, you know, like it wasn't a, I'm going to become a professional cyclist. <laughs> it's just, I want to know how to ride a bike. And mm-hmm. I got two bikes for Christmas when I was six, one for my parents and one for my grandparents. And so I felt like I needed to know how to use them. So I taught myself how to ride a bike in my grandparents' garage. Um, and as far as sports, I always thought I was going to either run track or play basketball. And I was pretty, a pretty okay distance runner, but uh, I think I was a much better basketball player in my head than I was in reality. <laughs> uh, but I did play both of those sports through high school. And then um, my main sport in high school was field hockey. So um, awesome. Gonna- field hockey, that's another sport that doesn't have too much uh, browns in there. <laughs> No, I went to school in central New Jersey. And so it's just like this pocket of random diversity. At least mm. my my specific school was. Mm. So mm. the field hockey team had like, my field hockey team had like a bunch of black women, Asian wow, women white women. And it wasn't, I didn't realize that it was pretty much a white woman sport until <laughs> uh, we, you know, I started going to away games and I'm like, okay, so some of these teams have like one token black girl <laughs> and that's about it. Maybe yeah. they have like an Asian woman or two, uh, if it's like, you know, lucky, but for the mm-hmm. most part, it's mostly like white women playing guild mm-hmm. hockey. But it's actually a white man sport I learned eventually. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes Brushy. people are just not exposed to these sports and never get a chance to play them. So it's like yes. It's just like the practicalities of some of these things. Yeah. My school just happened to have mm-hmm. my, like my town had a field hockey program. And so what I, town was this again? Piscataway, New Jersey. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. I asked, I have no idea where that is. <laughs> it's okay. Um, have you heard of Rutgers university? Of course. Absolutely. Okay. So the football field is in Piscataway. Okay. So they have campuses in Piscataway and that's okay. kind of the big thing there. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And again, like a lot of sports, um, the the difficulty with access is is access, right? You know, things that cost money where equipment costs money where you need a little bit more. Obviously, you know, like you said, track and field running is one of the the least expensive sports. However, shoes still cost, you know, a pretty penny and they're kind of important to keep you healthy. So, Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. So just getting into this really quick, I, you know, when did it become your mission to diversify cycling? Um, you know, where and where are you with becoming the first professional um, black athlete? I am there. I, I have. Yes, yes you are. <laughs> um, so that's really exciting. Um, as far as it being a uh, diverse sport competitively, not so much yet. Uh, still. Mm-hmm. Working on that, I seriously doubt it'll be that in my lifetime, to be honest. Um, But this was always a part of, like, an awareness campaign of, like, hey, guys, look around. It's (laughs) – we all – well, I mean, you all look the same. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So it's, like, 
we can do something to, you know, plant seeds to fix this in the future. It's not going to be an overnight remedy by any means. Uh, but yeah, I'm still kind of chipping away. And I think over time, like the mission evolved, I, I wouldn't say it changed, but it, it evolved into more specificity where now it's like, I'm specifically fighting for representation in the cycling industry mm. because I feel like that's where the power is. And that's mm. where the representation can really start to, um, impact the greater community yeah. because there's lots of people who ride bikes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all different backgrounds, races, cultures, careers, whatever, like every, like, I, I, I don't know if there's a demographic that doesn't, mm -hmm. um, in some capacity ride a bike. Um, so it's just that, that representation is not there. The way that the industry looks at people of color and bikes is very narrow. And so we're trying to expand that yeah so you're <laughs> that, targeting that, like you know, the top down like you want them to kind of really look at this issue uh yeah i mean i don't necessarily believe in like a trickle down effect but i think um these companies need to reflect the the the, the people that they think they're serving and think that they're providing stuff for and they mm -hmm. don't so yeah trying to like yeah where do their development funds go where do their youth programs go etc cetera, etc cetera? Yeah, but even down to like, what is what do their employees look like? What does their leadership look like? Mm -hmm. You're not gonna advocate for people of color if you don't care about them, and it's kind of hard to care about them if you're not one of them mm -hmm. on a on like a serious level. Yeah. It becomes more of an initiative or a, a program and not a priority. And yeah. so, yeah. it's important to have your leadership and your your employee base look like the people you're trying to reach because then they'll actually be a, a priority and a concern for those folks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's exactly what you're talking about, representation matters. You mm -hmm. know, being able to see, all right, who's advocating for me, who's speaking for me, who's allowing there to be a space for me um, as you wiggle your way in there and say, I'm also making a space for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was reading some of the articles ESPN did a feature on you last year and you were trying to become a professional. I think you were a cat too at the time when they wrote the article, was it? And so now you're officially like a cat one professional. Eh? So the way cycling is set up is very, it's super confusing. So technically okay. I'm still a cat too. Okay. Um, and I just have a, a contract. That's, oh, that's nice. the main difference. But once you get to Cat 2, you can do most of the higher level races. The ones that I can't do are basically team races, so I'd have to find a guest spot. And the highest level are the world tour races. So you have a number of world tour teams, which is having world tour teams is old, but now they have um, they're restructuring the way that women's cycling works. So it's 2020, and this is the first year that. Um, the governing body, the UCI, is mandated to pay. <laughs> like, mm. they're mandating that teams pay their riders in order to mm. be World Tour teams. So before this year, professional women did not get paid, even at, did not have to get paid. Wow. Some of them mm. were still being compensated, but mm. they don't have to, they didn't have to be compensated at the very tippity top level of the sport. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a problem. Yeah. And so... Um, that structure is making it more concrete as to like how professional versus amateur works. Mm -hmm. um, but the overall structure of women's cycling is still quite confusing, okay. <laughs> but yeah. So I've been racing 
pro-level races for a number of years. Um, and there's, it's just super confusing. Yeah, but, yeah, no, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a professional contract with Liv and that's really awesome. And so here we are. <laughs> well, that's awesome. How long have you been with Liv now? Um, this is my second year working with them. Um, and it's going really well. And I think with this whole restructuring of, of women's cycling, um, people are kind of starting to do new things and different things. Um, and so I guess this is kind of like the program that I've built for myself where I'm more of a privateer than, um, a team member. And it's not that I don't prefer to be on a team. Like I would love to be on a team, but with that comes lots of, um, restrictions. And I think as far as the advocacy work that I'm trying to do, Mm. it would eliminate my autonomy because then I am, you know, beholden to the stakeholders for the team. And it's not, it's not just me that they have to worry about. So if I say something that upsets somebody, then, you know, I can easily be on the chopping block and that's just Mm. not, it's not worth the stress for me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. this way, privateer I still get to race I still get to do advocacy work and it works out I mean it's not the perfect formula or I guess I don't even know what it was that I thought I was going for when I started but I'm really happy with this setup and you know maybe in the future I'll become a member of a team somewhere but right now I'm really excited about this this freedom to kind of navigate the space how I need to in order to keep doing this work mm-hmm no, it's okay. I was just saying, I, I read that like you want to be a pro cyclist, but you also want to be an advocate. So this is like a really central part of like your ambition and your vision for yourself. It wasn't just about being a pro cyclist. Like this work is important to you as mo- as well as the racing. And you're not willing to give that up to be part of a team. No, definitely not. Yeah. Um, I mean, I race bikes because it's fun. I'm, I think as far as like from like a marketing perspective and from like the awareness of like representation perspective, it was actually quite smart of me to go this route because this is what they care about. Apparently Um, the competitive side of things, the like performance side of things. And so me kind of figuring out a space in this world has garnered quite a bit of attention and I can Mm. use that attention to talk about the things that actually matter to me. Like for me, I'm Mm. just like racing bikes is fun and I really enjoy doing this, but also, have you noticed? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. That is this is exactly what we're here for. Um, making a space for yourself in this world. You know, I think uh, obviously rolling into Black History Month. You know, we've Black people have come quite far, but have a really long way to go in terms of making a space for us in this world. Who are some of um, influential Black? individuals who have helped you recognize, you know, carving your path is one that you need to own and uh, can hopefully help inspire the future generations as, you know, our, you know, those who have come before us have helped us be able to do. Um, I mean, I think the example I defer to most often is probably Serena Williams. Mm. And like, I don't even know how deliberate or intentional she was in even carving that path. Um, but just by nature of being very strong and very dominant black woman in a space where that was not a thing they had, she has created space for the rest of us and like showed us how to be unapologetically ourselves. And 
I mean, that's super powerful. Just like seeing someone just be themselves in the space and just exist <laughs> should not be a statement. But for me, it's been like incredibly inspiring. Um, and right now I'm obsessed with, there's a woman named Kitty Knox from the late 1890s. And she actually rode bikes and was kind of like a thorn in the side of the the League of American Women, as it was called back then. Um, they created this color bar where if you, like after she'd already joined their organization, they decided to ban black people from joining. And so she, <laughs> yeah. Oh my <laughs> no goodness. No one else can see your face, but I can see your face. And that is how I feel about it. I've well. got a face of despair, everybody. I just <laughs> kind of did the emoji smack hands to um, the face. <laughs> and she was really young, but she just kept showing up and just like, you know, being present and existing in that space and made, you know, made a path for folks like me to, to be here now. So yeah. Years later. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about her. People don't know about her. I'm just learning more about her now. So yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. I'm going to have to like dig deep into that because I didn't know about her either. It's just to me, I think it's so incredibly, um, I, I just don't understand how the color of somebody's skin you know, has another individual who looks different from them look at you as if you like are diseased um, or as if you are, you know, just lesser. And uh, that that's something that I, I'll never be able to understand. So I am very, very grateful for everybody who is allowing for, you know, us to continuously um, chip away at, you know, our the systemic levels of oppression that America has and is continuing to face mm-hmm. and, and and many years of it so it's like you're coming out of it but it's not undone you know no I mean? it's not undone it's at not, all yeah there's a so, lot of there's a lot behind them but it's so lot, cool to yeah. hear about that lady kitty and just like that 100 years later you're gaining strength and inspiration from her story it's just so cool it just shows you the power of you know somebody's life or somebody's story to impact way beyond their even their time yeah no it's really awesome and I'm like excited that the story it was, I think it's been unearthed in like the last 10-15 years like they no one actually knew about her until recently and so it's really awesome that I have access to this story and I can't even be inspired by it at all so yeah stoked on that yeah so you are growing your own community right now obviously I found you. I started following you. I don't even know when I started following you. And I'm like, this is dope. I'm, I'm about her. I'm going to be rooting for her. And, you know, um, you, like you said, you've, you've been able to make a little path for yourself, especially with live cycling. They're doing some promotions behind you. Representation matters. Um, and then you also wrote a piece. It looks like for people for bikes on how to grow the bike community. Can you share with us some of the ideas that you you think will help us be able to better support you and the biking community um, or cycling, which, which, which should I use correctly? I don't think there's a wrong thing okay. to say. And I think that's part of my whole thing. It's like this, even down to the terminology, we're so picky about like folks are so picky about how you can be referred to like, Oh, am I, I'm not a cyclist. I just ride bikes. And it's like, all right, so then what is a cyclist? Isn't it somebody who rides bikes? Yeah. <laughs> runner yeah. thing. I'm not a runner. Well, I am. I run, but I'm not a runner. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, all right, dude. I mean, you can you can be whatever you want to be, but like, don't don't let them decide for you. Mm-hmm. Like, don't let someone else decide what something is. That annoys me so much. Um, 
But for me, it's mostly just like, it, it feels sort of like remedial almost, the ways that I think the, the cycling industry can be improved. But really simple stuff like, you know, paying attention to, to what's going on around you, just noticing that, you know, most of the people here are white and figuring out like, all right, so what can we do about that? Being really mindful of how we interact with people who are not like ourselves. Like there are women of color and people of color, black people um, that come into cycling and they're like, mm, nope, <laughs> not this space. <laughs> and then they leave. Like even my husband, we both started competing at the same time. We started racing together and he got burnt out really fast because mm. it just wasn't a space where he felt like he didn't feel like dealing with it. Mm. Um, or, you know, I'm just kind of like, oh no, this isn't going to work. We're going to have to do something about it. He's more of a like, mm, I'm just going to go over there. <laughs> Y'all can have this. This is fine. Uh, in what way? Um, like, so just like cult- the culture, the just, yeah. Like in what way is it? Just can you give us an example of, of that? How that really you so experience that? So the second community, and I'm, sh- I'm, I'm assuming that the running community is probably very similar in that you've got like, you're very like, performance-based people and then you're people who just run to run right Mm -hmm. um but with with cycling you can ride bikes for transportation you can ride bikes for sport you can ride bikes for recreation and a lot of the times depending on how you decide that you want to enjoy bikes people will judge you based on that so like they have this thing they call weekend warriors or if you only ride bikes on the weekend then you're not as serious as people who ride bikes all the time or if you're a commuter you're not a commuter you're just a commuter you know and that can go in reverse where commuters will look at performance-based cyclists and feel like they're too snobby or elitist which there's some truth to it but it's like there's all these divisions that we've created within the bike community within the cycling community where we're being divisive amongst ourselves Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and realizing that we all really like riding bikes yeah. for whatever that reason the commonalities um, versus like the little different nuances. yeah <laughs> there's so much there are so many things that do unite all of us and mm. I feel like there's so much focus on differences than mm. the unity aspect of things right mm-hmm. like how how much change have we been able to make and how much um you know forward thinking and forward movement have and strides have we been able to make when we do end up coming together? I mean, I really feel like it isn't rocket science. However, <laughs> we continually come back to the point where it feels like we are creating a formula that is made for rocket science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? it, yeah, pretty much. It's it's kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the hardest thing about my work is trying to encourage people to learn how to celebrate differences mm-hmm. instead of using them as tools for division and judgment and negativity mm-hmm. and it's like I don't want you to it's like I don't see color like I hate that mm-hmm. I don't want you to not see that I'm a black woman that's mm-hmm. not helpful I want you to embrace that I'm a black woman and and understand how that's a good thing for this community and understand how that can be an asset to pushing the sport forward and growing cycling mm-hmm. but instead it becomes a a negative thing mm-hmm. I feel like that's how humans have learned to look at differences in general and it's I don't know I feel like cycling is kind of like this this like micro version of the world Mm. because you have people from all over like got doctors and you've Mm. got 
you know, just delivery workers, like the range is massive, people from all different cultures and colors and whatever. And so it's a big reflection of the world. And it, it feels like this huge opportunity to teach some of these larger points that extend beyond cycling, but use cycling as that commonality where people listen, like, hey, bikes, bikes, bikes. Okay, now let's talk about something that's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. power of sport to do that, though, is, you know, isn't remarkable around the world, right? That we can find this, like, game to play. <laughs> um, and it can unite nations in a way that, you know, politically they can't be united or other terms they can't be united. Um, but I really, I think, yeah, there's these like kind of hierarchies or power struggles within these little worlds that are just oh, yeah. fascinating, you know, federations and, and all the organizations mm-hmm. that end up kind of breaking down um, what we're building up. Mm-hmm. I think so on that topic, you know, what are some of the barriers that you obviously it sounds like this nice, smooth, like I want to do this and now I'm here. <laughs> uh, no, not quite. Um, exactly. Yeah. Just tell us. Tell us about the barriers. We want to know the hard stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, from the you know the sport itself, I think one of the biggest barriers was just understanding what the heck it was. Mm. Um, like I was explaining that, like cycling is kind of confusing the structure of it, and just understanding, like, okay, so what does it even mean to be a professional cyclist? What does that look like? How do I get there? What do I need to do? Um, And there's been a lot of trial and error and a lot of setbacks as with any journey. Um, But somehow I navigated my way to this point. Um, But with the advocacy, I think, I mean, ignorance is a huge barrier and not from like a you're stupid type of ignorance, but just like a literal lack of knowledge, Mm. like a literal lack of understanding. And I feel like I'm constantly explaining my humanity and the humanity of people like me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that's a huge barrier. Like every time I go do a speaking engagement or a workshop or a panel or any kind of thing, I feel like I have to teach a basic level of understanding. So we're all starting from the same point. Like mm-hmm. even like talking about diversity, like a lot mm-hmm. of people think diversity just means gender. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we've got diversity. We've got women. I've got women and we, we employ them and we, we have them on our team. And so we, we've done the diversity and it's like, well, yeah. you're starting too. And, um, great, but there's more um, that needs to be done and can be done and should be done. Um, But I think just creating this awareness, despite a community that has lived in a bubble for such a long time, that's like the biggest barrier, Mm. just like the lack of knowledge and empathy and understanding. And then, I mean, there are the folks who are like outright angry about it. (laughs) Mm. But tell us, tell us about that. Um, I think I live in this space where people are fine with me being here until I upset the wrong person. And I think that's anybody, right? Like they're upset with your advocacy or they're upset, they're upset that they see a black woman in the space. Um, I mean, I can't speak to that. I can only speak to like the actual interactions that I've had, but it seems like it feels like some folks look at me as this, like, this thing that's happening, right? Like this like experiment that's happening in this. Mm. And so it's fine and it's cute and diversity sounds great. And it's a wonderful thing that you're doing until it affects me, Mm. (laughs) like until it affects them as individuals or gets in the way of something they're doing because they, they do the diversity. Well, you know, they, Mm. they're not, they don't, they're not racially insensitive or culturally insensitive or do anything that upsets anybody. Everyone loves them. They've been here 
for decades and mm-hmm. things are wonderful. And so how dare <laughs> yes. this black woman come into this space and tell them they're doing something that they shouldn't uh, be doing. Yeah. Hold up mm. a mirror and have them look in the mirror and be like, oh, yeah. maybe I have mm-hmm. some conscious the, things going on here. That's when mm. the claws come out. <laughs> um, and that's that's been interesting to navigate. And it's the biggest reason why I don't think I need to be on a team right now. Um, because I literally had people calling my sponsors and calling anybody who would listen, trying to like make me be different <laughs> and yeah. me apologize for the work that I'm doing. And I will Silence not. You. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. This is just making me think of all the ways that you it, it could have gone for you. Um, and thinking of double consciousness, and I don't know if you know much about double consciousness or you know, W.E.B. Du Bois had uh, spoke about double consciousness. And I'm just going to read a quick quote. Um, it, it is a peculiar sensation, this double consciousness, the sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others of measuring one's soul by the tape of a world that looks on in an amused contempt and pity. And I think this quote obviously is about um, the double consciousness of a black person, you know, about any, uh, many people, but this is him talking about the souls of black folk and how you put yourself in a space and you're thinking about how everyone's thinking about how you're speaking, mm-hmm. how you're mm-hmm. reacting, how you laugh, are you too loud? Um, you know, how you express anger mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. trying to reform that uh, that consciousness of space from it being just your own humanness to one where you're looking at it through the lens of somebody that's seeing you different. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm super self-conscious about all of those things because I've put this spotlight on myself, right? So mm-hmm. people are definitely paying attention. And like I was talking about Serena and like how powerful it was that she just exists as who she is. Like mm-hmm. that like victory dance, she's like crip walking on the tennis court. It's like, we can't do that. What are you doing? Yes, I love it. Yes, you can. And it's so liberating to see her express joy at however she felt like expressing it in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like that's powerful, you know, like not being who they think you should be or how you think they think you should be because it. Sometimes you start imposing those things on yourself, even if nobody else is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for sure, the double consciousness is totally like a very uh, prevalent thing <laughs> that I'm always dealing with. And I think a lot of people are always dealing with. Mm-hmm. Whoops, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I thank you so much for just even mentioning that. It, like just thinking about from also the lens of a black person looking at another black person who you're like, great. Oh, can we do that? Can we, should we, (laughs) you know, and the answer is yes. Unapologetically be yourself. It is just an expression of culture of who you are. And there should be no reason why we are afraid of it. However, we've been trying so hard to just climb and um, it is only natural, you know, for us to be like, okay, can, how much of myself can I be since, it's been so hard for people to accept me as myself without me even them even knowing who I am to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I think um, just to kind of express a little bit more, like the purpose of this this podcast is to really help elevate women in sports and to bring more consciousness and awareness to um, the stories that we may not hear. You know, we hear about Serena Williams, of course, all the time. How how um, how can we better help elevate 
and tell your story? Where are some places that we can go look and research and tell our listeners, you know, to, to turn towards as well? Um, I think, I mean, I feel like my story is whatever it is, but <laughs> this year I'm really excited about like creating more opportunities for other people. Cause that was the whole point in the first place to get more, more, you know, colorful faces in this sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a number of, um, Instagrams and like just things popping up content that's popping up, that's creating representation for people of color. And it's such a beautiful thing to see. Like there's a, all mountain brothers has an Instagram where they just post black folks riding mountain bikes. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, there's pedal to the people, the number two, and it's just, again, just people of color, like on bikes, just existing and living. And they're not all, you know, becoming professional cyclists. They're just enjoying bikes, however they want to enjoy it. And I hate this idea that you have to be one thing. And, um, in cycling, a lot of black and brown people are always looked at as victims in the sport where it's like mm-hmm. oh if a company is showing a black and brown face it's because they're part of some kind of campaign to to save them in some some capacity like a youth program or um you know kids in africa trying to get to school or something like that and i think those programs are super important and super necessary but if that's the only way that we see black people then mm-hmm. it, there's never going to be an expansion of black people coming and being a part of this you know yeah. openly and there's mm-hmm. so many people of color that ride bikes and enjoy it. And there's clubs all over the country. There's like major tailor clubs and all black girls do bike and all kinds of people that, that ride bikes. And we don't get to hear from them or hear about them or, or, or see them. And like, mm-hmm. I want people to see them because they're here and they're beautiful. And it makes the sport so much more dynamic and amazing and appealing. And the world. Yeah. And the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think just kind of like seeking out, those people who are using the internet, which is a fabulous tool for getting things out these days, um, to create that representation and create that content and capture that and share those stories. Mm-hmm. I have always had this fear. It's like, all right, I'm really loud and really good at getting people to talk to me, but I don't want to be the diversity. I don't want to be like, oh, she is the black person that bikes, mm-hmm. the only one. And that's not the case. That's not your goal. Um, yeah. That's not my goal. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone likes attention to some degree, um, and it's nice, but at the end of the day, I think there are so many other stories that need to be elevated and and shared and shown, and so I think the best way to help is to elevate those voices, retweet them, repost them, whatever you need to do um, to to show the vast number of people of color that are out here, and Black women especially, riding bikes, enjoying bikes, and fixing bikes, and advocating for bikes, or whatever, or anything. Yeah, just no, welcoming yeah. them to that world. Three folks, live folks. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So you just would love right. more people to see that this is biking. The biking world should be accessible to That's everybody, right. and just yeah. really see it's for them too. Yeah, I think it's more so just making making that broader representation of what a black person is. Like mm-hmm. we aren't mm-hmm. what the media or whoever has created us to be we enjoy so many we dip- enjoy the outdoors we actually yeah. do swim take a look ron we do so much we and- run oh my gosh you know <laughs> <Look at that>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i i appreciate this conversation so much i think there's so much to just continue on um and i look forward to just following you and seeing more of your work 
Um, tell us where we follow you on social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You Tell us. Website. Um, okay. So I have a website, aquickbrownfox.com, and it can link you to all of my social media. But mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are all I suppose, which is a pun, but it's spelled like my name. So A-Y-E-S-U-P-P-O-S-E. Amazing. All right. Well, I am already following you, everybody else. I will be <laughs> Make sure you do the same thing. And thank you so much for continuing to elevate not only yourself, not only women, but black and brown women. And I really, really appreciate that. And the black and brown community in general. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for allowing us an opportunity to kick off Black History Month with uh, you, Ayesha McGowan. Thank you so much for keeping track. All right. Thanks. Good luck with your work. (laughs) You guys have a great year as well. (laughs) Thank you. you. All right. Talk soon. Keep track. Keep track. Keep track. Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 